Welcome to our service. It's February 14th, 2021, Valentine's Day, and we're so glad that you have joined us. Let's open with a word of prayer. God of love, we've come with thirsty hearts, praying that your word will satisfy us. We come with aching hearts, praying for good news to comfort us. We come with overflowing hearts, praying for a chance to share your love. You, who know our hearts and hear our prayers, be with us now in this time of worship. Amen. Psalm 50, verses 1 to 6. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth, from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfectly in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice.
A touch of the Master's hand. Just a touch of the Master's hand upon me. Just a touch of the Master's love within me. Just a touch of the Master's strength around me that will give me peace and joy. Just a touch of the Master's guidance that will keep me by his side. Just a touch of the Master's hope within me that will keep me in the light just a touch of the Master's wisdom that will keep me in the truth. Mr. 
Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you excited, nervous, but most of all looking forward. The news is now come, the restriction has been lifted. We can again begin to meet next week in person, albeit in a limited form. And our God, this, this meets us with a whole mix of feelings. But most of all, we pray that no matter how that news finds us, that we take it as a way of focusing on you and asking ourselves the question, now that this is the truth of how things can be, how do we follow God? Lord, we pray that you set the answer to that on our hearts, no matter what it may be. We pray, God, in everything that we do, that this, this becomes the center of our hearts. Not all of the questions that are deemed to be the big ones of the day, not whether this is right or that is wrong or this should change or that should, but just help us to realize that all of that is secondary. All of that is just trying to answer the question of how can we follow you? How should we follow you now? God, this we pray, that you make clear in our hearts just how that should be done. And God, we also want to pray for our town. With restrictions being lifted, that means a change in business for our friends and for our family that are working here in McGregor. God, many have lost much of their business over the last couple months, have lost much of their livelihoods. And so as things begin to look to lift again, this is on our hearts. They are on our hearts. Lord, we pray that the business comes back. Lord, we pray that those that are so very stressed out right now because of the changes that the last few months have had, know that they are in our prayers. Know that they are on our thoughts. Know that we are there for them. God, this we pray. And our Lord, as we stand before you, the God of complete glory, the God who time and time again in Scripture shows us just how magnificent he is. God, we pray in the face of this and the amazement and the fear that it invokes in our hearts and in our souls. God, we pray that the picture of you that we have will drive us to chase after you with all that we are. To build your kingdom here in McGregor. To raise up its people to show them that we love them just as much as you love us. God, this we pray with all that we are. In your name, amen. Mark 9, verses 2 to 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead.
poor, poor, poor Peter. Peter who always talks before he thinks. Peter who always leaps before he looks. Peter who always acts, ending up with egg on his face more often than not. The story begins today at the foot of a mountain with no name. There stands John, James, Jesus, and Peter. It is there where our Lord tells these men to follow him. And so they do, up the winding path, up the boulder-strewn road, step after step, foot after foot. They climb until all the men reach the top. You can imagine when they get there that they are filthy, they are sweaty, they are exhausted, they are breathing heavily, panting, perspiring. They are in Palestine or the surrounding area, a land unlike ours, a land where the word mountain truly means something. And as they reach the summit, they are met with a plateau. And from it, the disciples look around, doubled over, stitches in each of their sides, but beholding the great distance they have come. All the world is far from where they now stand, infinitesimal. No matter how tall this mountain actually was, you should imagine in your mind, as you look through their eyes, that the world beneath the disciples and their God is more distant than the ground looks from the top of Mount Olympus, more petite than from the top of Mount Sinai, more diminutive than from the top of Mount Horeb. No matter the height of the peaks these men now stood on, it was higher than the high places. And as they slowly caught their breath, all three of the disciples simply stood transfixed by the beauty before them and the shift in perspective that it brought. Hey guys, turn around, you gotta see this! I imagine Jesus calling to his friends next, snapping them from their dead-eyed gaze. Each one after the other slowly let their sight shift onto their friend, and when the last eye fixed on Christ, they beheld a more breathtaking vision still. For we read here in the book of Mark that the clothes of our Lord began to shine, dazzlingly white. The clothes that moments before were scuffed from the climb. The clothes that seconds earlier were the colors of sweat and dirt and dust caked on, baked on, that tainted the colors that the garments were originally made to be in an instant all gone, and in their place they glowed, he glowed. With the light of heaven, our Lord glowed, shined, radiated, brighter than the best bleach could have ever gotten his clothes. We read, he shone white, and the disciples were faced with this holiness of the Son of God, and we read that they were struck with fear. For they knew from the stories in our scriptures that it is not safe for us fallen human beings to look upon such holiness, to stand before the sacred as they did now. In a moment, their minds would have darted to the story of Moses, who once climbed a mountain himself to see God, who wanted nothing more than to look upon the face of our Lord, but was told in no uncertain terms that to do that would mean death. And just as that story began to get their heart rate up, there appeared before them a man. A man none of them had ever met before, but who nevertheless looked very familiar. A man who, when they beheld him, each of the disciples slowly found themselves moving from questioning to puzzlement to realization. This 
was who they saw in their minds, knew in their hearts when they heard the stories. This newcomer was that great leader of Israel himself. This was Moses standing before them. And as this revelation struck each of them, they stood dumbfounded as the great giver of the law turned and talked to Jesus as if they had been friends all their lives. And then before them appeared another man, unknown, but again so familiar. And as the newcomer walked up to Jesus and began to converse with him as if they had known each other for ages past, the disciples' eyes were once again opened and their mouths once again fell fully in astonishment all the way to the ground. For this man was without a doubt Elijah, without a doubt that great prophet himself, the one who battled the hundreds of priests of Baal with no one other than God at his side, and yet Juan Handley, the one who climbed a mountain himself during the darkest night of his soul and there, like Moses, encountered God. And we can imagine in this way time passed. A minute, then two, maybe an hour or more. But with each second, the amazement in the hearts of the disciples grew and their fears took on new layers of complexity in their hearts. What was once a fear of instant death giving way to a fear of being insignificant in the face of the glory of the universe giving way to the fear that you don't belong to be where you now stand even though God himself invited you to join him on that mountaintop where now he stands. And soon the fear that gripped the disciples. It grew more and it mutated until it had no definition, but it loomed all the same. And so it was, Mark tells us, that it was out of this fear that Peter was the first of the disciples to speak. Summoning up all of his courage, he opened his mouth, unsure of what he would say. Thankfully, for Peter, like for many of the rest of us, just because he had no idea of what he wanted to express didn't mean he wasn't going to try to blurt it out all the same. As Peter speaks here, I assume he sounds like a high school student that managed to crash a soiree, a high school student who maybe thinks a little bit too much of himself, not unlike me when I was that age trying to sound like he understood the deepest intricacies of the wide world while speaking to people who actually did. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, what do you guys think about maybe me building us a couple of brush huts? We can spend the night just chilling, talking about stuff. Then no one needs to go anywhere. And here I like to picture Peter trying to crack an awkward smile, even though in his mind, undoubtedly by this point, he has already well broken into the repetition of self-flagellation we all have when we say something really dumb. Just kind of like, stupid Peter, stupid Peter, a brush hut, really? Yeah, let's build a brush hut for Moses, a literal prince of Egypt. Poor, poor Peter. But it was with this awkward smile on the disciples' mug that I picture him with. And Elijah, Moses, and the God of the unending universe looking back at him with expressions that I assume could best be described as saying, really? 
that we read a great cloud world around all the men, blanketing them in the unseeing and very gracious at this moment in time mist. And the voice of God echoed around them all. This is my son, Jesus, whom I love. Listen to him. And then we read the mist left, along with Moses and Elijah, leaving only Peter and three other men, who undoubtedly all began to shake their heads at him slowly. Poor Peter. Few of us get to meet our heroes. Fewer of us, when meeting them, make a fool out of ourselves. But none of us can say, save one poor man, that when meeting Elijah, Moses, and God's son, realizing who that is for the first time, that they suggested in all earnestness that the whole gang should hang out on top of a mountain and stick sheds. Slowly, the group made their way down the mountain, each of them taking turns, alternating between dumbstruck awe at what they had just witnessed and also undoubtedly laughing uncontrollably. And once they had neared the bottom, Jesus, we read, turned to the other disciples, likely wiping the smile from his face, and said, let's not tell anyone what happened on the mountains quite yet. And in my mind, at least, I like to think he followed it up by saying, you know, for Peter's sake. I love Mark's telling of the transfiguration. This is the story where in a single miracle, it is spelled out for us just who Jesus is, how big a deal he is, his connection to scripture and to God's salvific plan for all of creation and also his connection to God himself. On display in this story, all in a very short period of time, is everything about why we human beings need to heed Jesus and his message, as well as it sets us up for what is to come very shortly as well. Don't tell anyone until I am risen again, is how this passage ends. The transfiguration is a big deal, to say the least, because in it we are seeing most clearly up until this point in the Gospels just how big a deal Jesus really is. Seeing the size of the scope of what he is doing and finding ourselves in fear of just how vast it is, amazed by how immense it is. And right in the middle of that, Mark decides to spend a solid chunk of time focusing on how Peter made an idiot out of himself when he was in front of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. <laughs> Poor Peter. But I mean, Mark is almost certainly one of Peter's close friends. And when you look at it like that, well, I mean... Oh, come on, it's kind of hilarious. Writing this of all stories in such a way as to make sure that everyone reading it knows that your buddy made a fool out of himself in front of important people. And then, lo and behold, finding out that the story becomes a cornerstone of the beliefs of billions of people for the next two millennia. I mean, come on, that's pretty funny. If it helps, note that Mark isn't on this mountain and yet he's writing about it, which means that he needed to hear about it from someone. And traditionally it is held that Peter is the one who told him about it, which means that Peter is the one that told this story of him embarrassing himself, which just makes it somehow even funnier. 
But either way, Mark does focus on this story in the story for a reason. In Peter's actions, silly as they may be to us looking back at him, there is still something wonderful there. I mean, he doesn't want those great people to go. Though he is terrified, nevertheless, he just wants to hang out with Jesus, Elijah, Moses, and the rest of the disciples all night. And there is something precious about that. And while Mark doesn't really talk about it as much in his telling of the Transfiguration and some of the others in the other Gospels, this is focused on far more. This idea that the time is not yet. The day will come when we will all be able to hang out on the peaks of mountains and brush huts talking through the night. But that time has not yet come. We may want to stay on the mountain with God and the heroes of the faith that have come and gone before us. Some of them are friends in our family, but there are still things to be done in the valleys below. This is the great dual call that this passage has for us believers. It is on the one hand a reminder that great things are yet to come, but also It's a kick in the pants to keep going until that time comes. It is time now to follow Jesus down the mountain. It is time now to listen to him as God calls us to in the mist. It is time now to live as he lived, helping those around us in need of help. It is time now to proclaim as he proclaimed the gospel message to all who can hear. It is time now to pick up our crosses and follow our Savior to the ends of the earth itself, to build his kingdom, to get out there, and to get her done. But also, as we do all this, Know that each moment that passes with us following Christ is another moment closer to when we will find ourselves once again running up that hill to spend the night hanging out with all of those there before us in stick huts of our own. We've been more or less cooped up now due to the lockdown for a couple months. Soon the lockdowns will begin to lift. Already we're discussing what gathering in person will look like. And so here is the challenge that I have for you as all this comes to pass. Over the weeks to come, as we can, let's run down this mountain together, Christ at our lead, excited for what is ahead of us to do, for how we can get involved. Let's run down this mountain together and in doing so become known as the church that is building up the kingdom of God in McGregor helping build our neighbors up, meeting their needs as they present themselves, showing them that we love them as Christ loves us, bringing them new life, bringing them the wonderful truth of what our God has done, showing them what we have seen on top of that mountain all those years ago. Over the next while, let's run down this mountain together and see where our God will lead. Just to the lowest end.
Our benediction today comes from the book of Romans. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go now and serve this magnificent God.